Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pro Dental Podcast with me, James Cook. And I'm very excited about today's conversation. I'm speaking with Dr. Bernard Lester. I've recently read his book. I recommend all of you do too. It's called Open Wide, 50 Glorious Years as a Dentist. It's available from Pegasus Publishing everywhere. Books are sold at the moment. We're going to have some links for you in the bio uh, for this episode as well. Um, with more than 50 years experience as a dentist in the book, Bernard recalls the highs and the lows, uh, dramas and the close calls of his work both within the NHS and private practice. He actually remained with the NHS for pretty much the entirety of his career um, and was running practices both NHS and private side by side. He has so many stories. We're here today to talk about kind of how he's seen the profession change over the course of half a century. Some good, you know, some not so good. Uh, a lot of bureaucracy, uh, obviously, about at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's just an absolutely fantastic read. There's so many good stories. We're going to talk some of those, some of his more memorable moments, um, both kind of professionally, but then some of the more you know, quirkier things that happen as well, uh, receiving marriage proposals from complete strangers and, uh, and things like that. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Dr. Bernard Lester. Dr. Bernard Lester, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, James. It's nice to finally uh, put a face to the voice. No, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously, we're here today to talk about your book. Uh, just before we, we hit the record button there, you, you were telling me, I guess it was some somewhat of a lockdown project for you? Yes. Um, it started really when I was on holiday. We were having a special holiday in the Maldives, lovely, in early 2020, 2000, January 2020. And I sat down. There was nobody on the beach at all. The, the Maldives, it's an island. You can walk around in 20, 25 minutes. And you, you, there's very few people on each island. So you've got solitude, you've got a beautiful beach, the sun's whatever. And I said to my wife, Sue, I said, you know, I'm looking back now at 50 years of what's happening, of what's happened to me. And I think I've got to put these down on paper because people won't believe them. So I started to write things down and then I started to laugh. I thought that didn't happen. Then I thought, yes, it did. And then I thought, I went on to all the serious things that happened, all the things that all the people that had helped, don't get me wrong, things didn't always turn out right. No question about that. But in the main, they did. Then I thought of Rudyard Kipling, triumphant disaster in his famous poem. And if you can meet with those two and treat them with the same amount of disdain or whatever, so that's what I did, and I went through all the things that had happened, and I thought that was a triumph, that was a disaster, or whatever. That's why I quite like at the end of each chapter, each um, kind of story that you tell, you, you kind of sum it up with, well, that was a triumph, that was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, and if you can meet these two uh, just the same and treat them just the same, that basically, what I was trying to say after each one, great, you feel great about it, but wait till the next one or something else. We do have disasters in dentistry. Oh, some of them funny, some of them not so funny. Every single dentist, don't get me wrong, 
we've all had it. So would you say, I mean, you started off your career in an NHS practice, which you went yes. on to own, and then yes. you also worked privately as well. How, how did... Uh... Well, it, it, it was a strange occurrence. Um, I was due to take, I thought, I'd take three months off after qualifying and make a nuisance of myself with everybody. But I went in for a routine dental checkup to my own dentist, which was an error. And he said, right, when you're starting, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you promised me when you qualified, you'd start. And this was January 1970. I said, oh, all right. <laughs> so I started, I was late the first day. I walked into the waiting room. There were 12 patients waiting for me all at once. My first patient was an extraction and it said no LA on the record card, which I assumed meant no local anaesthetic. It was an upper eight, an upper wisdom tooth. I took the forceps, took it out. Patient winced a little bit. The nurse had to pick her up from the floor. And then the woman said to me, the patient said, I think I'll have an anaesthetic next time. And then the nurse called me aside and said, no LA means no local anaesthetic for fillings, not for extractions. <laughs> Welcome to the NHS. So um, I would say the first two years was a struggle. Uh, but after a year or nine, ten months, uh, Barry Hobson, who was my, my boss, decided he was going to move to his other surgery and then uh, retired to Ireland, which he did. Uh, do I want to buy the surgery? Well, I hadn't a clue what buying the surgery meant. I had to pay wages, my God, you know. So from laissez-faire student, marriage, mortgage, etc., owning a surgery, it was a culture shock, really. I think I described it in the book as bank loan, bank mortgage, bank overdraft, bankrupt. <laughs> That's the way I saw it. So how old were you at this point? 23. And you were just two years out of... I was two months out of... Oh, sorry. sorry. I was. I qualified in this November 1969, and I took over the surgery about a year later. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, but it was different. It was a different scenario then. You, you know, if you wanted to open a surgery, you could just go to the local authority and say, I'm opening surgery. Is that okay? There was no worries about UDAs or things like that. So, what? Well, obviously, your career, well, the name of the book is Open Wide 50 Glorious Years as a Dentist. What would you say are the biggest changes you've seen over the course of 50 years? Okay. When I first started, at the university, there was about 30 to 34 students in our year. And it was nice, it was cosy, we all got on. And we were a group, we gelled. And we still keep in touch. But now it's probably four times that amount, completely different. And uh, very much more segregated, I would say. Um, so that's one aspect of the way it's changed. I think over the 50 years, I would say that I saw 
and work in the golden era of dentistry. What do I mean by golden era? Well, three basic passes to get into university, three E's. Well, people would laugh at you now for that. A grant, you're kidding me. No um, tuition fees. So it costs me nothing and they pay me for doing it. Well, that's how it should be, I've got to say. So that's one thing, one great thing that has changed. It's going to cost you if you want to do dentistry now or medicine or any other subject, really. But more so dentistry and medicine, I think. Um, and as I said, we were able to open up wherever we wanted. If you wanted to open the surgery, you just opened it. You didn't have to go now cap in hand to the local authority and say, are there any UDAs available? The national health has changed, in my opinion. The national health now keeps the thumb on the pulse, if you like. The finger on the pulse to say, we know how much dentists are earning. You can't open another patch and see more patient unless we say so. I think that's the way the system works. So that's the other main change. I've seen so many changes. For instance, um, when I first started, the patient's fee was the equivalent of £1.50 for anything. So you'd come in, you'd have five crowns, £1.50, right? Which was a wonderful for the patients, but not so good for the government. They then increased it to £10, which I thought was disastrous because that was a really big hike. So you paid up to the sum of £10. Beyond that, the National Health would pay. And you had to fill in forms about what you'd done, tick this box, tick that box. So, again, massive changes. Now you're talking about £250, £300, which is quite a hike. Um, so that, that, that covers the changes in National Health fee payment. Uh, none of the systems were perfect, but I think the UDA system that they're using now is the most imperfect one of the lot. It's right. difficult. Um, very few people that I know actually completed their UDAs, the right number. And if you did, what do you do then? Do you, do you take three months off work if, you, if, you, if you're ahead of the schedule? It's not fair. What they should say is, do some more UDAs, we'll pay you for them. But they don't. If your UDA total is 6,000, once you've done the 6,000, you finish, that's it, go away. Um, other changes, technology has advanced amazingly. Um, digital X-ray system. Uh, the local authority paid for a digital X-ray system in the National Health Surgery. I'd already put one in the private surgery. That revolutionized X-ray taking. So that's one of the things which we now probably take for granted. No dark rooms, no development fixer to dispose of. And I might say, um, coming onto the PPE business, when I first started, we had boilers, boilers, not autoclaves, no gloves. And prior to me arriving, dental needles were not disposable. Right. They started to become disposable as I came into dentistry. Right. So quite substantial changes. 
nobody got ill or nobody got sick. But then maybe we didn't recognise these diseases, hepatitis, all sorts of things. Maybe they just weren't around so much then. So I accept that. And these were good, obviously. Um, what are the changes? The CQC needed, actually, but ill thought out. Um, I'll give you an example. You've got to have washer disinfectors. It cost me £3,000. But then all of a sudden, well, you don't really need washer disinfectors. Ill thought out, right? We didn't need to get them, but we did. And this goes to a lot of things. But overall, I think the CQC has neatened up dentistry. This is what you need to do. This is what the surgery has got to be like. Is it clean? Have you got good records? I accept all that. I was doing a lot of that in my national health and private surgery before the CQC. But the CQC encouraged me to um, file everything, to make sure everything was right, to have policies for this. All good ideas, but ill thought out and not at first well organised. Now I'm sure it is. Um, other changes, litigation. When I first started, the possibility of a patient suing you was very rare. It does happen, and it did happen, usually as spurious things. But now, it's an industry. Litigation against dentistry in this country is probably higher than in the States. So, it becomes a major factor in treatment choices, options, materials. What am I going to use? Have I told the patients? Have I explained the fees to the patients? This is before we even start. So the poor young dentist, perhaps not so highly qualified or this or uh, not experienced, is frightened to do some treatments. What happens if this goes wrong? You know, I'm doing a root treatment. Have I used the, root, the, the rubber dam properly? All things like this. So litigation is would be my uh, one of the most frightening things for any dentist, a new dentist in particular. We've all had a letter from solicitors. I had one from uh, from the GDC, which was disgrace, spurious accusation, thrown out. But for a couple of months, it was awful. You know, you felt as though you were the worst thing in the world. You were the worst dentist. You'd done something wrong. Your fitness to practice has been questioned. That's how the letter starts. Not right. What they say is, we've had a, a problem from a patient, would you like to talk to us about it? No, your fitness to practice has been questioned. As it happens, as I said, when uh, this particular patient was questioned and the records were exceptional, uh, she never came back and it turned out it was about a bridge which she said collapsed when she was in America, but in fact, it was a temporary bridge, which it didn't come back to have the permanent one done. So that was just one of those things. But it just shows you what we're up against. Um, CPD, continued professional development. I always thought that this was an excellent idea. And it is. I think that we needed to move on. We needed to re-educate. You can't come out with a PDS or whatever degree and say, that's it. I went on to do the MJDF, which I found really good. I may have been the oldest one doing it, 
but I still found it really good and helpful. And the two years it took me to get all the materials together to go through all the paperwork before the final exam was good. It was a good academic exercise and it helped me. CPD is excellent right, and necessary. Further uh, degree courses are wonderful. I think we should all do it. I think it could well become mandatory that after maybe 10 years, you've got to go on a complete refresher course or, or something like that, maybe like doctors. But I found it most enjoyable doing ADF. Okay. So that covers really the main differences. It's a harder profession now. It was lovely. It was easy. It was golden. We could do what we wanted. The patients loved us for it. It's changed. It's harder. COVID hasn't helped, obviously. Would, would you say there are kind of more positives? I mean, you, yeah, I suppose you've answered the question already by saying it was a golden era before. But, I mean, is there anything kind of more positive now, would you say, than before? Oh, yes. Yes. Technically, far better. Implants. A gr another great arrow to our quiver, if you like. Uh, it was dentures or bridges. Now, completely different. Periodontology, wonderful. It's changed the way we work. Before, it was a minor subject. Now, make sure the perio is okay before we even start anything. Yeah. Uh, and technical materials have improved immeasurably. We're now we're seeing a development in materials, the phase-out of amalgam. Although I loved amalgam, uh, I thought it was a wonderful material, and I thought a lot was said about it that shouldn't have been. But it does have issues with it, obviously. Um, so materials, technology, training, teaching, CPD, uh, equipment, all changed, much improved. Autoclaves, uh, digital x-ray systems, high-speed handpieces have got better and cheaper. Um, cleaning systems are better. Filtration systems are better. Aeration systems in the surgery. Uh, you can go through every item. It's improved. It's a lot better. We are now true professionals. So would you say the kind of hang-ups nowadays are more to do with bureaucracy? Yeah, there are, of course, and especially in the national health. The bureaucracy is still there. You've got to, with the UDAs, you've got to do a certain number of UDAs. I mean, fancy giving 10 UDAs for a complex molar root treatment. Right? You can't do that. It takes hours to do properly. That's why national health dentists are referring them out and saying you've got to pay between six and £900 for root treatment, which isn't fair, but that's the national, that's the private cost of doing a root treatment. So drawbacks plenty, but that's government systems. How do you get around it? I don't know. That's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> right. um, one of the other questions were memorable moments in 50 years. There's lots of them. Well, I wanted to ask, because you've, you've, you talk about all the changes, um, not just in dentistry, but I guess in how life was. You, you had a marriage proposal in the middle of practice from a complete stranger. Oh, gosh. Uh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> letter came in. Uh, I can't remember the exact things now, but it's in the book. It says, my daughter was very impressed by you. Would you consider marriage? <laughs> uh, you know, I was look, 20, 
23. I was engaged at that time. And I thought, what the hell do I do? So I went to my boss. I showed him the letter who laughed out loud and said, oh, I've had three or four of these. He said, forget it. Forget it. <laughs> right back and just say, I'm sorry, but I'm engaged. Um, but in terms of memorable moments, if I may talk about them, there's lots of them. I would say my time at university was memorable. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the camaraderie, the learning new tricks, seeing patients. It was terrifying, but, you know, anatomy, physiology, all these subjects were wonderful subjects. Enjoyed them thoroughly. And um, it was the greatest course in the world as far as I am concerned. I would not have done anything else. However, when you suddenly are thrust into national health practice or any practice, the first few years are terrifying. So memorable in a bad way, the first two years of practice, yes, it was hard. It was a culture shock from seeing one or two patients in the morning. You're seeing dozens in a day, literally 20 to 30 patients. And then you start thinking, have I done that right? But gradually, gradually, over the years, you start to get things in perspective. Um, I, I told you about, I mentioned about the first extraction. Well, you know, it was ridiculous. You remember that, no local anaesthetic. The patient stayed with me for 40 years, but I'll never forget it. Right, the first, my first entrance, my first entry on the record card, extracted without anaesthetic. You know, it, it was remarkable. Um, but I think I was so jittery and so nervous at that stage um, that I just didn't think. And that's experience. You never do it again. Um, first national health practice was a great experience. I mean, there were rooms in the building I'd never been in. You know, I had a technician upstairs. We had kitchens. Um but then, wow, I've got to pay wages. How do I do that? I had to get an accountant. Oh, no. You know, um, what do I do? And suddenly, what's P-A-Y-E? I had to work it all out. And it, it took me, it, it was a real, you know, from being a student, a lad, enjoying myself, 19, 20, 21, that's it. And then, of course, there was the financial aspect of it. You've got rates to pay, you've got wages, dental technicians, then your indemnity, dental defences and things like that, your BDA, your GDC. I thought, where's the money coming from? So memorable, yes. Um, I think how I fell into private practice was memorable. Uh, it was our first child, 1974. 75 and we had to go and see a private gynecologist in St. John Street called Geoffrey Dwyer. St. John Street is the uh, Harley Street of Manchester, a beautiful Georgian street. On the right side were the doctors and a couple of dentists and on the left side it was usually solicitors. So I went in with Sue, my wife, and I looked around and I thought, what place for surgery this would be. We saw Jeffrey, the gynecologist, and three months later, my wife's friend said, 
I don't know whether you're interested, but there's a private surgeon, a very old, lovely gentleman called Alan Hilton, wants to sell his private practice in town. So I thought, well, I'll phone him up. Lo and behold, the same building, 14 St. John Street. I went in to see him. We got on like a house on fire. It was wonderful. But there's a picture in the book of the equipment. He put in a high-speed handpiece for me. That shows you how it worked. Um, the equipment was not archaic. It was beyond that. It was. Um, it looked like it had come out of a museum. Uh, so, but he did fantastic work on it. But at the age of seventy-nine, he thought he'd give it up. So I worked for him for a couple of years and then took over. And I had the most wonderful time there. Eventually, being made chairman of this association, all the consultants were there. In Manchester, they all work from there. We, I got on. We made some very good friends. Um, if you wanted anything, if you needed a consultant, we had a consultant for everything. So a lot of my patients said, "Is there an ENT guy? Yes, I'll make arrangements for you to go and see. I need a gynecologist. Yes, he's downstairs. And in fact, occasionally they get mixed up, which happened in the book once. So um, that was a memorable time. I mean, I can't explain to you how wonderful it was to work in that place. I'm not decrying the national health. I loved it. And as I've said, that's where I felt needed most in the national health. And it was, you know, a lot of my friends remember I was brought up in Crumsall. So I never gave it up. I worked my full stint there. Um, what else? My MJDF exam when I was in late 50s, early 60s, um, I must have been the oldest taking the exam. But a wonderful experience, right? Because I was, by that time, quite experienced. I knew what was going on. Uh, I wasn't nervous particularly. You know, I had a laugh with the examiners, particularly one instance with an actress who was who was playing, um, she had some alteration in the mouth and she was asking me what to do and, uh, you know, and I was just a little bit rude, a little bit cheeky with her, which she enjoyed. Um, and at the end of it, the, I said, right, that's it, you know, I'm finished. So the external examiner said, well, you've got another three minutes left yet. So I said, I turned around to the actress patient and I said, plan to come out for a drink afterwards to discuss your ulcers. So she just burst out laughing. That was the end of it. And the external examiner said, that will not get you any marks. Right, so that was it. Um, so we had a lot, I had a lot of fun on the course, is what I'm trying to say. I didn't take it too seriously. Um, I passed. Right. And um, I could tell by the external examiner laughing his head off at the end of it that he really appreciated, after a long, hard day, someone having a joke with them. Um, memorable times, the kidnapping, the patient who was kidnapped, a horrible occurrence. The first time I heard about it was in the headlines on the Manchester Evening News. And I thought, oh God, that's one of my patients. Um, I went to see her in hospital. And then a couple of weeks later, I saw her at the surgery, worked out a treatment plan. She had a bridge which I'd already fitted at the front of her mouth, which I believe she bit through the cable with that was holding her. And that's what got her out of the car. We did three months of treatment. 
and at the end of that time she was delighted i got the most wonderful letter which i put in the book i hadn't changed at all from her husband saying that that more than anything changed restored her life to as it was on the, on the funnier things the the lost tooth down the chair the child who i took a tooth out for I thought I was being clever. I just whittled it with my fingers out. It popped. And he was in hysterics and tears. I need the tooth back for the fairies, he said. So I dismantled the chair and I could see it. And then I got my a fine root four set, got hold of it, and it slipped out of those. So then I took out a long Spencer Wells and I managed to grab hold of it to everyone's delight and took it out. And as I put in the book, I use the Spencer Wells uh, in my fishing now. It's a very good <laughs> instrument. Um, and he was delighted and he sent me 50 pence and we sent him two pounds back from the fairies. So lovely stories. Was the, the 50 pence, um, was that That was his money from the tooth fairy, wasn't it? pound from yeah. the tooth fairy. And he sent me 50 pence back saying, because I helped get it back, which was wonderful. Do, do you know, so do you know I why, I, um, why I really like that story, actually? Because that felt like a coming full circle for you in terms of you you mentioned at the beginning of the book you got into dentistry because of your first experience as a child going to the dentist and that's correct you found it a scary experience and you wanted Very, to it was terrifying you want terrifying. to do away with that kind of you, you i think you called it a, is it like a dracula like image yes yes that was right and um so i trained myself not to do that things were different by the time i saw this child um not that some of them were unruly. I had my fair share of those. Um, but it helped him, and he stayed a patient for a long, long time. Um, but other memorable moments, the man who used Vim on his teeth, toilet bleach, <laughs> as a toothpaste, and he came in, and this was before the time of mobile phone cameras, or even cameras for the surgery. I must have been qualified about three or four years, and his teeth were brilliant white. I mean, as if you got a paintbrush and painted them. But when I looked, his gums had disappeared completely. <laughs> I mean, all you could see were the roots of the teeth. And when I asked him, and he said, oh, I use Vim constantly, twice a day, I said, you've got to stop. No way. Look at the colour of my teeth. Couldn't stop him, never saw him again. I wonder what happened. A one-off. A one-off. You will never see that again what's i mean what's what's alarming though is that there are we've, we've had stories come out of as i tiktok all this social media you know video stuff of people bleaching their teeth now and trying all these home remedies just to yes it is this is dangerous it should alarming. be done only in surgeries not beauticians not anywhere else and it should be done as predicted as uh recommended with less than six percent hydrogen peroxide or I think it's 13% carbon monoxide so it's got to be done within the regulations which are safe right but you can get online very powerful bleaching and it can do a lot of damage um other memorable moments the rabbit was a classic I mean you know you think you're doing the best for patients and the patient you're not sure whether she's happy with you or not and then suddenly she brings in a lovely rabbit for the children oh well everything's okay <laughs> take it home this black rabbit was evil it kicked the back of the hutch down i tried to get hold of it it scratched me put it back in the hutch the kids wouldn't go near it let it out in the garden 
next door's Alsatian comes across. It runs after the Alsatian. The Alsatian jumps over the fence, whimpering. You know, it, it, in the end, I just had to get rid. I mean, things like this. I think I put in the book Schadenfreude, which she probably did deliberately, I'm sure. <laughs> again, never saw her again. Um, other memorable moments, the snorer, the, the, the woman that came in and said, you've got to help me. I've just been married. Um, my love life is being affected. And I think it's going to affect my marriage. So we fitted her with a snoring appliance. And I said to Bev, my nurse, I said, I hope it works for her sake. You really do. And two weeks later, she phoned back, absolutely delighted. Again, I put this in the book, but she said, look, it's worked. I've stopped snoring. And last night, after the third time we've made love, I said, stop. <laughs> this is too much. I don't need this detail. She said, but it's wonderful. You don't understand. You've saved my love life. You've saved my marriage. Fine. And then, of course, the radio station got hold of it and asked me about it. Um, again, you couldn't write the script for it, but it happened. Um, and, and the staff, I was blessed with staff that stayed with me for 30, 40 years. I don't think there's many dentists. It wasn't because of my charisma or lack of it. It wasn't because I was the most brilliant dentist. It wasn't. I was a good dentist. It was because I treated them as individuals, as people, as part of the surgery. Now, this is what is sometimes lacking in modern surgeries. You have to work as a team. You can't just say, that's your job, get on with it. We all gelled. We won an award, not because we were the greatest surgery, but because I put that, the staff were the greatest and they'd been with me such a long time and we won the award for that. Um, so what did I do? So we used to take care of them. If they needed time off for personal reasons, we gave them time off. Paid holidays, paid if they had to have time off, as I said, for divorces, personal reasons, whatever. We went, we had days out and on one of the nurses always looked at the statue of David in Florence and she said, I'll never get there, but I just love the actual technical part of how he did the statue. So I thought about it and as I say in the book, I said, look, we're not doing Christmas this year, we'll just go for an Italian somewhere. So I did, I took them all to Florence for the day. Met two patients on the plane, which was interesting. And it was a memorable day. You know, things like that stay with you. I mean, I bet and that then, that stayed with your staff as well. I mean, that that's yeah, that's gonna you know well breed loyalty, isn't it? You know, you've taken them on that on that trip. Yes, yes, it did. Um, you know, I mean, it was it was, but it was something I wanted to do. I didn't particularly want to go to Florence. I'd been, I'd seen it, but I knew that this nurse would never get the opportunity and I thought this is really a good gelling day it was a hell of a day 7 o'clock at the airport you know it was all pretty regimented uh, but it was a wonderful day and you know the pictures and the photographs and the, were just fantastic um, and we had a lovely day out in London where they, they accidentally met Prince Charles you know I said look it took me some time to organise but there you go girls <laughs> right. 
you know, I mean, you could not write the scenario of these things, but they happened. But the result was we had the most wonderful family in the surgery. And that's what kept us going. I'm not saying, James, that we didn't have troubles, but, you know, there were problems with staff sometimes um, and new staff coming in because they couldn't get used to the fact that we were a family, if you like. So it, you have to pick out very carefully the stuff that we had. But we're all still in touch. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, I thought so. And, and it worked. So the lesson for newly qualified dentists who are going into surgeries, get your groundwork done, right? We all make mistakes. Don't worry about them. Right? If, you, if you're concerned about something, ask one of your colleagues. Peer reviews are very good. Talk to other dentists. How do I do this? How do I do, do that? Go on courses. You know, go on a course, for instance, my friend used to do a course on how to do rubber dams. Go on a course, make sure you're doing it correctly. All sorts of things like that. If you're thinking of opening your own surgery, great. Well, make sure you've done the groundwork first. I mean, bear in mind, we never had any vocational training. You went from university to surgery, nothing in between. Vocational training now, that year or so, is good. So make the most of it. Make the most of your course. Enjoy every minute of it. Because at the end of 50 years, when I have to ask myself, would I do it all again? Just like that. Of course I would. I'd start the whole thing again and do it all again. And go through the whole lot. The most wonderful career in the most wonderful profession. I've met some absolutely amazing people i found my ups and downs but i feel more successes than failures fantastic i can't think of a better place to leave the conversation than that but i will just ask quickly if people want to find the book where can they pick up a copy um it can be got from any major bookseller waterstones um I think I had a list of them, but it can come from Waterstones or any bookseller. If you go online, Amazon particularly, they will do it. Uh, they do a Kindle as well. Um, Smiths do them. Any bookseller, really. Or if you want to go straight through to the publisher, Pegasus Publishers, they will do it as well. They will sell them as well. Brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll put a link in the episode description here so people can find it right away. So that's, uh, that's great. Open Wide 50 Glorious Years as a Dentist by Dr. Bernard Lester. But um, no, Bernard, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation and uh, just thank great you, to kind James. of, I mean, it was fantastic to read your stories and then to kind of hear some of them from your own mouth as well. You know, half a century. It's incredible. Thank you, James. I've really enjoyed it.